best name ever for a uh, employment lawyer. So there you go, ready to go, guys. If you are as well, we got lots to cover on the, uh, on the uh, show. Today, hybrid and work-from-home arrangements, employee and employer rights is going to be coming up here shortly. But uh, there you go. That's all I got to say for the next couple of minutes. Chris, uh, case of the day or something you're working on, pal? What do you got? Yeah, so actually I got both uh, sort of a case of the day as well as something that's been continuing to trend in the news, and that has to do with purchases and sales of various businesses. Um, and as I say, I've got a case of the day because oftentimes I've got people myself coming to me and asking me, you know, that, you know, what are their rights when there's a purchase and sale? You know, I'm working for company A that gets bought out by company B. You know, what rights do I have? What options do I have? And as I say, this is cropping up in the news as well. And most recently, I've seen that Rockwell Automation Inc., who's a major player in the industry, um, in the industrial automation sector, is actually acquiring a, pa- a company called ClearPath Robotics Inc. So Rockwell's buying out ClearPath. And again, an, uh, an often question I get from people is who's going to pay severance if the purchaser of the business doesn't actually want to keep some of the employees from the from the seller? You know, so if Rockwell doesn't want to keep some ClearPath employees, who's on the hook for severance? And in these sorts of situations, if that were to happen to you, whether you're a Rockwell or ClearPath employee or not, your employer, in this case the seller, would have to provide you with your full severance amounts. Um, and as many listeners know, your severance is going to be based on a number of key factors, things like your age, how long you were with the company when they let you go or when you weren't offered continued employment with the buyer, as well as the position you held, and you can get upwards of 24 months. So when the seller um, sells off the business and the buyer doesn't retain certain employees, those employees can go after the seller for their full severance. But there's also occasions where the buyer might offer somebody continued employment and say, look, we want to keep you. Um, Now, that can be a situation where they say, we want to keep you and nothing's going to be different and you'll just continue on. The only difference is the check's going to be coming from a different company. And if that's the case, then the general expectation would be for you to stick uh, aboard on that ship, uh, stay with the new buyer and continue on. But there are also situations where uh, the buyer of the business wants to keep you but also wants to uh, change certain aspects of your job. And they put an offer in front of you that they want you to sign and it says, yeah, you can continue working, but your hours are going to be different or your pay is going to be different. And if there's a big change between what you were used to with the business that sold versus the business that's now buying them out, then you don't necessarily have to continue your employment with that purchaser of the business. So it's going to come down specifically to what those changes are, but you would have an option of either um, jumping ship and staying on with the, uh, the purchaser or potentially leaving and then going after your severance from the seller. It just can get a little tricky sometimes when the changes aren't as big, because if you don't have a good reason to continue on working with the buyer, then you may only be entitled to your bare minimum severance, which is not your full severance. And, and again, that would be something you'd go after the purchase or the seller of the business, I should say. So I, I kind of wanted to bring that up because like I say, it comes up a lot in my line of work, people wondering, my company's been bought out, what do I do? Excuse me. And then I also just wanted to touch on uh, situations where employees do stick around. The purchaser keeps them aboard, keeps them going. They keep working. There's no interruption. As I say, you just want to be mindful of contracts you're given to sign because they could eliminate your past service with the employer that you had before. They could actually have sections in the contract that might reduce your severance. 
Um, or there might be stuff in there that allows the buyer of the company, the, your new employer in this case, to make changes to your contract. So anytime you're given a contract, especially in a purchase and sale sort of situation, you want to give a lawyer a call so you get the advice to know, you know what you're heading into, if you're going to go and join the purchaser or what your options and rights are if you're going to leave and potentially go after the seller for some severance. So let, let, let me ask you this before we uh, get into a break and come back with our uh, main topic, Chris. If the yeah. buyer... The purchaser of the company wants to keep you on. But, yeah, there's, as you mentioned, some pretty big, pretty substantial sweeping changes to this contract in front of them. You say, no, I'm good. That's too big a change. It's a dismiss, constructive dismissal. In that case, who pays the severance? The, the one who changed the contract, the purchaser, or the seller? Well, in that case, the seller would be on the hook for the severance because you wouldn't have technically agreed to the new contract, the one that was presented to you by the purchaser. And that's why it's very important to kind of review any contract that a purchaser gives to you um, before making that decision. Because as you say, if you look at the contract and it says, you know, now you're going to be working weekends and nights and before it was always just nine to five during the weekday. And they say, look, we want you to sign this contract. Otherwise, we're not going to have you come aboard our company and continue working. Then you could probably likely tell them, well, that's too big of a change. That is a big departure from what I'm used to. So I'm not going to be joining your company on those terms. And because you never technically joined that new employer or worked for them, then that's why the seller would be on the hook in that particular situation. Got it. We'll take that short break and get into our hybrid and work from home arrangements uh, topic here in a moment. We'll continue with this edition of the Employment Law Show. Stand by. Hybrid and work from home arrangements, employee and employer rights and differences. First one, Chris, do employers have to give employees a hybrid work option, especially now? Yeah, so just before we get to that, I mean, as the summer ends, you've got all these employers now requesting employees to come back to the office. In fact, I remember dealing with this last summer or at the end of last summer. Um, a lot of employers now uh, at that point, the pandemic had somewhat subsided. Uh, we're trying to get back to how things were pre-pandemic. And things aren't really much different this time around this summer. Same thing, I guess, for those that continue to have hybrid and remote work arrangements, um, which have led to a lot of flexibility. A lot of employees are just not wanting necessarily to go back into the office. And so whether it's this summer, last summer, next summer, I think it's always good to give people an idea of kind of what their rights, what their options are when it comes to these new uh, hybrid or remote work situations. And as far as the question, you know, do employers have to give employees a hybrid work option. Um, in general, they're not likely going to be required to do so. Um, even though somebody may have, let's say, worked remotely from home or in some hybrid fashion for the last one, two, three years, I think as long as the the reason for that was pandemic related or sort of on a temporary basis and, and their actual contract has them working at the office, it's gonna be hard for them to now insist on a go forward basis you know, this should be the way that things are set up. My employment should be that I'm allowed to work indefinitely from home or indefinitely on a hybrid situation. Um, so, yeah, that's likely not going to be the case unless there's something very specific in a contract, perhaps, that someone signed that actually says, you know, this is a remote position or this is a hybrid uh, work position. Then, as an employee, you might have a leg to stand on. But otherwise, again, generally, employers are within the rights to ask their employees to come back. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, and I think a lot of that based on what you're talking about, Chris, uh, that word contract comes in there, because I know earlier in the week, Leo and I were talking about a very similar thing, and it it yeah. seems now, like right after the pandemic kind of calmed down, it was like, okay, guys, it's, you know, you started at the office, you had a bit of a break now, now you got to come back to the office, and they can do that, but 
it seems that now this far <clears> on, it's almost if you don't have a contract, people are fighting and winning the fact that now it's an it's a, it's an implied term of their employment. It's been three years. I'm not coming back now, and it looks like employers are starting to lose that fight because they've waited too long to get employees back in the office, barring a contract previously, right? Yeah, I think it's an important issue you raise because I think definitely as more time goes along, um, as things continue to subside, to continue to go back to normalcy, if you're still working from home, then you're, you know, you're absolutely right. It's going to be generally less um, likely that an employer is going to be able to say, well, yeah, this was temporary if we're you know literally back to normalcy for a couple of years, let's say, and no changes were made. I think there definitely can be an argument made. Um, of course, it'll come down to each particular situation, but absolutely, there can be both terms that are actually in writing in a contract that someone may sign, and there could also be terms of someone's employment that are almost implied, that are sort of created, not necessarily by virtue of something being downwritten, so to speak, but because of the passage of time and, and what you've actually been doing practically day to day, contracts and, and, and those sorts of things can sort of morph over time. And and I'm likely it's likely going to be the case actually that we may see some cases pop up where um, this happens where maybe for another year or two people are still working from home and then they're being forced to go back and as I say the courts may have to intervene it'd be interesting to see kind of what the factors considered are there. Do employees have to accept changes to their job once they return to the office if it's uh, if it's a different place than when they left, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so no, the answer is no. Uh, employees uh, don't have to and, and shouldn't accept changes, ex especially if they're large changes, significant changes. Um, it, it may be the case that after uh, the pandemic subsided, that there were actual changes made in the workplace. Maybe some things were altered just in, in the grand scheme of things. Nothing really involving someone being targeted per se. It could be completely business related. But that doesn't also mean that they can use that, they being employers, to sort of force people to accept those changes. So even if it is a business-related thing, if the employer is coming to you and saying, look, um, you're coming back to the office, but now you're going to work, you know, again, another three hours on, on the end of this day, or, or you're going to work nights or evenings, it, again, it will come down to what the change is. It could be hours, could be location. Maybe they shut down their building and they had to move uh, to a, a building way, way, way out in the distance. Um, so yeah, these things can be done in good faith or not necessarily with any malintent, but if they are significant, especially, um, you shouldn't be accepting those changes without first speaking to an employment lawyer. Um, you know, any little thing you might communicate to your employer could suggest or imply that you agree to those changes. So you want to be careful when it comes to that. And again, all the more reason to get legal advice before sort of communicating with your employer about what these changes are, whether you agree to the changes or not. Because sometimes you might even just object to changes thinking you're in the right and, and do yourself more harm than good and then, you know, it'd be much more difficult for a lawyer to assist uh, after the fact. I guess, the, you know, the part two to that question was, can an employer force you to sign a new employment contract when you walk back through the door? They might be thinking, that after a couple of years. hey, let's start fresh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and sort of almost similar to, to what I was talking about at the top of the show when it comes to purchases and sales. You know, if your company's bought out and the purchaser presents you with a new contract, or in this case, if you've been away from the, the office space and you're coming back and your employer's presenting you with a new contract, you know, maybe with respect to changes that have happened that may be pandemic related or not. That also can happen, and again, you definitely want to get some legal advice before you sign anything like that. 
Um, you know, I think there are certain situations where employers can implement certain policies or guidelines when it comes to things, say, like remote work or hybrid work that doesn't necessarily have to be a new fully fledged contract that you have to sign. And they may actually have a leg to stand on in enforcing policies like that. But there are also going to be situations where you're given something more formal of a contract that is going to likely alter the terms of your employment to a much greater degree and is probably going to be something that your employer is going to ask you to sign. Uh, I mean, anytime your employer asks you to sign something, that should be a little bit of, a, of an alarm bell in your head thinking, well, if they're asking me to sign for it, does that mean that they don't actually have the right yet to implement these changes and hence why they want my signature? Because if they had the right to do it, it might be implied and they might just think they can do it without you signing something. So these are just little things to look out for, but definitely want to get some legal advice before reviewing or signing off on any kind of a contract like that. How do you handle this one if you've got an employer that says, okay, you know what, it, it's been a while, we get it, it's working for you, it's kind of working for us, so we're going to allow you to continue working from home. But the one caveat to that is now that you don't have traveling expenses, bus, subway, gas, we're going to decrease your pay a little bit. Yeah, so I, I think when it comes to certain expenses, um, you know, like you say, for traveling or something related to like the commute into the physical workspace, um, or something that might have been existing pre-pandemic, and now you're working from home, you don't have those expenses, um, you don't have those costs, whatever they may be, and they are sort of related to how things used to be versus how things are, then your employer could potentially pull back certain things like that. Um, but what your employer can't do is sort of say to you, well, you're working from home, you're working five days a week uh, for the longest time, but we kind of want to work you four days a week. Or we're going to reduce the number of hours you work in the day. So you're not going to do eight hours. You'll do five hours a day. You know, even if you're working from home, your employer's not going to generally be able to do that. That wouldn't be something they can pull back like they could with uh, like a travel-related expense or reimbursement. And that would be a lot more problematic. Now, you may end up agreeing to that as a compromise because you like working from home and the advantages that brings, but I don't think your employer is going to be able to force those those sorts of changes on you without your consent or, or sort of agreement to some respect. Can employees negotiate different work model uh, with that employer post-pandemic if they do come to some sort of agreement, maybe some things in your favor? Yeah, yeah, there definitely is a possibility. I know a lot of employers are willing to discuss uh, a more permanent hybrid or remote work arrangement. Um, they may not be the ones to initiate it, but if that's something that you're really interested in, um, then there's always that possibility. You may have to get a lawyer involved, and in fact, it may be recommended you get some legal advice just to kind of know how you're going to sort of navigate through that process or what your uh, so-called demands might be. Um, but I definitely do think it's possible. I've, I've myself uh, assisted some people in negotiating certain arrangements, um, and, and I know people that have done them themselves too, depending on the situation. So I think it is a possibility. And the other thing too, just to bring up with this particular point, has to do with accommodation. So if maybe something has changed in your, in your situation post-pandemic, and let's say you need a remote work relationship or a hybrid work relationship because you have to look after your kids or because you have some sort of um, basis for it that might be protected under human rights legislation, then that's going to give you obviously a much 
greater leg to stand on when it comes to negotiating models because your employer is going to have to consider those accommodations. You know, your employer is going to have to be wary about infringing on stuff like that. Otherwise, they find themselves in a bunch of hot water over human rights concerns. So, um, so yeah, if it's not a, what I'll say, a human rights related exemption or request, it's up for negotiation. But if there is an element like that to it, then your employer should absolutely be trying to accommodate you uh, up to a, a point of undue hardship there. Yeah, and I guess that would apply as well, especially post-pandemic, if you've got medical backing. Maybe it's you're suffering from something, something to do with long COVID and you need some accommodation to work at home two, three days a week. That would qualify for that as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when it comes to employees who are asking for accommodation, um, when it comes to things like disability-related issues, um, absolutely recommended. You get some support from your doctor, your treatment providers, whomever they may be. Um, you get them to set something out like that. Like in, in your particular hypothetical, you've got this COVID-related issue and your doctor is recommending that you stay out of the, the physical workspace for, you know, ABC reason um, or, or that, you know, there be some modifications made to your job to this extent or to that extent. And as long as, as I say, it's not creating any undue hardship, your employer is going to have to support you. And if you've got the support and backing from, from your treatment providers, from those physicians, then, you know, it's going to obviously require the employer to do pretty much as much as it can. Um, otherwise, as I say, it might expose itself to further liability. So, I mean, generally the takeaway is they can't change your workplace rights too much if that turns into a hybrid situation, if they agree to it, right? They, they just It's basically you're moving locations, but they can't really change a whole ton, can they? No, yeah. As I say, the, the whole essence of, uh, well, constructive dismissal is that it's a significant change to the terms of your employment that you don't agree to. And people do also need to be wary when it comes to your employer making changes you don't want to be someone who's necessarily silent about it for too long. I, I see this happen a lot. I see employers come to people and say, we're making these changes. And then six, seven, eight, nine, ten months pass. The changes are implemented. The employee is still there working, maybe albeit begrudgingly. And then they come and talk to me and say, hey, Chris, I've been, you know, my job has been drastically changed for the last year and I'm just not accepting it. And then I find out that at no point in time did they ever, you know, officially object to the changes. And and in those scenarios, they can be seen as having essentially condoned those changes. So if you're someone presented with changes, or maybe you've actually tried out the changes in good faith, um, just to see if they actually are as big as you as you feared or worried they would be, you also don't want to be waiting too long. You need to get legal advice because the longer you sort of stay silent, you don't object again, the much harder it's going to be later on to come to a lawyer and say, I'm not standing for these changes anymore. You know, I want my severance. I want out of here. You're going to be in a more of an uphill battle in that scenario for sure if you don't sort of have that record of objection and sort of note that. And with that, we are done for this evening. Thank you for uh, tuning in this half hour. We'll pick it up again on the weekend as well. In the meantime, to reach out to Chris and his uh, his crew, his team, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca the email address you can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for more access to information and access as well to the severance calculator enjoy your night we'll catch you next time in the employment law show